When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This episode is titled, You're Learning Web Development The Wrong Way. So in this episode, we're going to discuss things like the common pitfalls of courses. We're also going to talk about how to go beyond courses and continue your learning past those courses. And then we'll also have a discussion on, of course, our own learnings and what you know what we fell into, what problems we had, as we do with every episode, pretty much. So if this sounds interesting to you and you just want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And just a reminder that we do have a Scrimba affiliate link if you want a discount on a Scrimba subscription, go check it out. The link will be in the show description if your podcast app supports hyperlinks. If it does not, it will also be on htmlallthethings.com. Mike, you wrote this episode. You were talking to me about it yesterday, so why don't you take it away? All right. Yes. So this episode kind of came from a few different uh, inspirations, I would say. I've been talking to a lot of junior devs. I've I've done a little bit of hiring recently, so I've talked talked to some people in that process and some of the common trends I've noticed for people that haven't made that step from learning to practical, learning to practice and learning to freelancing or learning to like first job is that they're just stuck in that learning. And I know we've had a lot of episodes talking about like tutorial hell and stuff. So this is along those paths, but I wanted to give a little bit of a breakdown on where I think people are like struggling especially down the courses path. So I'll be kind of narrowing in on what I think courses haven't done right. Uh, and then what I think they can do to get out of that. And I'm not going to give you like a step-by-step guide, like, hey, this is exactly what you need to do. And then you're going to get a job. But I'm going to throw at you a lot of different ways you can go about stepping outside of your comfort zone and stepping outside the the, the common like course path tutorial hell that people get to. None of it is probably going to be really easy. I want to be clear about that. Uh, you're not like there isn't like, hey, if you do this, you're probably going to get a job. A lot of it is going to be it's going to put you outside of your comfort zone. It's going to make it hard. But that's the point, because your first development job is probably going to be pretty hard. If you're self-taught, especially like that adds adds more to it. Um, so I'm not trying to like put expectations out there that you're going to get a job after listening to this podcast, but I do want to give you clear advice that I know has worked for people in the industry. That's what I wanted to keep be key on. So I did talk to some people. Uh, I got, I got their kind of stories on how they broke in. And a lot of this is inspiration from those conversations. You know, there is like a, a sort of like, I don't know, it's like a mentality or something where. Even I've talked about it in my episodes where I've complained about the sort of the, the status of learning, uh, learning web development and getting breaking in and, and understand even just understanding things, even if you're not trying to break into the industry per se, but you just want to learn a little bit of web development and make cool tools for yourself or something like that. You just like tinkering with tech. And 
a learning path is so difficult and it's so different. And we actually have a, a, a written piece that might be out by the time this episode airs, but we have a written piece on sort of, I think it's eight or so steps that you can take, you know, to start from vanilla HTML, CSS, JS, and then move forward through things. But people are definitely going to start at any step. They're going to start at, you know, the react step. Then they might be like, Whoa, this is crazy. They might go all the way back to like, not even back to, they might hop laterally to Python and then come back to HTML, CSS, and JS. And what the reason why I bring this up right now is because when you take like a course or when you take like a, like a, whether it's an online course uh, that you pay for, or whether it's just like a YouTube playlist, when you do these things, you think it's just like a guide to completion. It's kind of like when you, when you look up, like, how do I make this certain type of craft? If you're a crafty person, Usually the guide, if it's a full guide, is going to teach you how to make the craft from procuring the materials and buying things all the way through. Hey, you know, my little house made of wood is is done. My little dollhouse or whatever it is, is done. And that's not the way web development is. And that's not the way a lot of tech stuff is because it's kind of all over the place. And so, yeah, like I would I want to, you know, have that article done. Actually, one of our contributing authors is working on it. But I want to have that article done because I think that we should have a clearer, like a clearer path forward, but there's still pitfalls like Mike's going to discuss. And there's still going to be these branching pathways that aren't necessarily bad. Sometimes the branching pathway is exactly what you needed and might, might be right for you. So there's still nuance to this. It's not just watch my 10 part series and you know, my doll's house is now built. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way of putting it. And and it is like, because we live in the age of the internet and because that's how we've gone into it, people that coming are coming into this industry, I think are thinking that like these courses are giving them the skills that they need. But the reality is, is like they're giving you a small portion of them or like just, just that one element of the skills that you need to get to that next step. Right. So like it's a good first step, right? Like taking a course is a good first step, regardless of where you are in your career. Like you could be a senior developer if you need to learn something like a new technology or a new framework, you can take a course on it to get that initial overview of what it is. But it doesn't mean that you can take that thing that you just learned from a, you know, even if it's like a 20 hour course and implement it into a production application right off the get go without another set of skills that are built on top of your other experience or other courses or other uh, different pathways to getting the, that knowledge. So, in this episode, we're going to cover the pitfalls of courses, like where I think courses struggle to teach you. We're going to cover what steps to take to build on the skills required to confidently start applying. And the key thing here is I, I don't want you to just start applying to junior positions because of the current state of the industry. Junior positions are very, very competitive. If you follow, don't like, you know, follow step, step by step, but if you go through the processes that I will explain, you should be able to start applying for intermediate and up, right? Like having a few courses under your belt, you might feel like you can apply for junior positions because the point of a junior position is almost like to have a clean slate and to only have the core understandings and then have like the senior developers on the team build you up. That's the point. Like that's the really like, you know, um, perfect version of a junior position. That's really not the case a lot of the time, but that's what people want. The problem is, is that in a more competitive market, those positions are narrowing, narrowing, narrowing down and jobs are more focused on like, hey, I if I need a developer, I'd rather get a developer that already knows this stuff and can jump in and start delivering right away without me spending like three months 
of my developer's time and my company's time to build them up. I'm not saying that's the right way to do things. Uh, I think it is important to invest in junior developers just because the, the landscape can change really quickly where we need more. And all of a sudden, again, it is going to be like, oh, I'm paying $800,000 for a developer that's going to leave in six months. That, that That's what was happening essentially in, in that uh, peak of like post-COVID. Uh, but the reality is, is that it's not going to happen anytime soon. So you need to separate yourself from that junior name and word and start building your skills to the next level, even if you don't have the work experience to get there. The impression I'm getting from what you're saying is instead of trying to label yourself as I'm a junior, I'm intermediate and working toward specific steps. I think what the, or at least the impression that in my mind is that the levels are different per role and per company. Somebody who thinks that an intermediate you know, somebody who thinks that that a certain task, let's say, is an intermediate in their office might fall to the the trainees in the in the junior in the junior role of another place because certain workplaces are more intense than others is kind of what I'm getting at. So a senior dev might just be able to know what a server is, you know, whereas whereas like the junior devs on one team might just do the might just do the UI, whereas some other junior devs might just do training in some places. And like I'm all over the place in, in describing this because that's exactly what I'm thinking is that instead of you saying like I'm a junior right now, it's like, yeah, but what does that mean? At, in one place, you might be just reading training material. In another place, you might be doing you might be doing serious like server infrastructure stuff, but on the lower projects. So you might be doing high class tasks on low priority projects. Other places might be like, nah, 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 you ain't touching anything. You are just going to assist, like you're basically a developer assistant where you're just assisting the the seniors and obviously still getting exposure to those type of things. And so instead of you trying to say like, I'm an immediate, I'm senior, I'm this, I'm that, because even myself, it's like I have to knock a lot of rust off my stuff and I am doing it. And it's like if I were to go and apply to a place, the very first thing I'm thinking almost like comfort zone wise is I'll go junior. But then when I think about it, it's like Mike and I had just had a discussion about a, a rather complex email issue. And I just navigated it. I just knew what to do, knew where to look, right? I'm not, not saying I'm a genius. I had to still Google stuff, but I'm like, oh, like, this is weird. I don't know what that endpoint is. Let me look at that. Fixed it in about 10, 15 minutes when some other techs were taking, you know, a decent amount of time. And it's like, that's only because of my experience with emails. But then do I really go into a junior role in a web dev space because you think, oh, like, you know, uh, email is IT. But then it's like, yeah, but you also forget that email has domains attached to it. So it is touching web development. Would the company that I'm working with value my email experience? So maybe I would be intermediate or senior because they're like, whoa, this guy knows web development and he can help look at our emails, you know? So it's different context. It's different contextually depending on where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a thing like every company is going to be different and require different things. So some people might like really require more of a jack of all trades type person, especially startups, right? Like if you're talking the startup landscape, which is a good place to start, it's a good place to try to get into web development because right now, like how the landscape, how it was before everyone wanted to get into a fang job because they were the secure, stable jobs that you could put on your resume and kind of as, as a staple thing that, hey, I can be here for three or four years, no problem, and then move on if I want to, or I can stay for another 10 years, invest my stock, all that jazz, all the fun stuff that you get from like a fang position or a big tech position. The problem now is that big tech is kind of in a state of, hey, we need to sm get smaller. So a lot of layoffs are consistently happening. And it's not really layoffs based on like 
performance. They're layoffs because, hey, we've hired way too much, right? So now all of a sudden, big tech has become less reliable. Where startups were, were like, hey, this is the less reliable thing because every startup, like startups were starting up all the time. VC funding was plentiful. Uh, people were just getting infinite funding because of the low interest rates. And there was like a million startups, but the, re- the reality was is that only a small percentage of those startups would last more than like a couple of years. So when you're going into a startup, unless you have a very clear idea of where they are, unless they're already profitable, you're, there's a serious risk there. Um, now, because the interest rates have gone up, startups have started to become, you know, only funded when they there is a clear path to funding or there is a clear path to profit and only funded because when there is a good team around them already and they have some sort of, you know, end goal in sight, not like, hey, we're just doing user acquisition for 10 years and then we're starting to get profitable without any idea of how to get profitable. That's slowly started to shift. And therefore, because of that, the, the startups that are hiring now have a higher chance of being more stable. So it's an interesting little balance shift that's happening in the industry that I've noticed uh, so you shouldn't be afraid to like go into a startup right now, especially. So you shouldn't limit yourself from being like, I only want to work Fang or big tech or like banking or whatever. There's plenty of other opportunities out there for you if you're looking. And it's a really good way for a like a new developer to get in and start really contributing because a startup is going to make you wear a million hats. And again, back to the jack of all trades thing. If you know email, if you know domains, if you know all that kind of stuff, that's going to put you ahead of a lot of people because a lot of startups will hire a senior developer that has worked at, you know, Facebook and GitHub or whatever. The chances of them knowing that stuff is pretty low. So they might be looking for someone to supplement their skills because they're a developer. Like when you're going into a big tech, you're in the big tech to do a certain thing. You're not there to spin up their entire server infrastructure and assign their domains. That's that's IT's department or that's another developer's department or whatever. Like they, they have very, you know, siloed uh, verticals. And again, as a generalist, you can do a lot in a smaller company and expand a lot on your skills and find the right place for you, right? Like you can find that, hey, you're not the best. Maybe you're not the best at writing code, but you're better at conceptualizing the code and getting the ideas across to the other developers on your team. Therefore, you're going slowly into like a leader, a lead role, a PM role, a management role. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We Everyone needs it. Every team needs those kinds of people, even if you're not the best coder. So it's just, it's, this is part of the, the things that we're going to learn in this episode is that you don't, you can't just know code right now. That's just not enough to get you your first position. You need to expand outside of that thing and learn about pretty much the entire development life cycle, at least from a high level to understand where you can fit in the best and to talk at that level when you're in that interview that people will be like, holy shit, you can deliver. Like if I give you a task of, Hey, I need this website up. I need this app up. You can take it from like that conceptual idea to being a real product in the end in a certain amount of time. That's what's required a lot right now. And it's not easy, but there's a lot of tools that can help you do that. And there's a lot of like different structures that you can put into your systems that make it possible for you to achieve that as part of a team, as a solo, as, you know, collaborator, as contractor, whatever. So it's, it's a really important skill. So having said that, uh, let's move right, right along into common pitfalls of courses. So I'm in this one, let's just jump right in. Start from courses tend to, 
start from random points in the development process. So I was just talking about the development life cycle. When you jump into a course, you don't know where the instructor's mindset was for how the person knows, like got into this course. So after an idea is already, like a, a, a course can start like preconception of idea. Let's say that the course is all about projects, right? It, you, it wants you to build as many projects as possible. It can list off all the projects that it's, that it's, you're going to build. And then it can just jump right into building those projects, right? A lot of steps before that have needed to be taken because when you're, again, being a developer in a small company or even a large company with a small team, uh, you need to have that input into the project phase, picking a project, figuring out what's feasible. All that stuff isn't like super simple. It's not, it shouldn't be taken for granted. It's something that you need to participate in to understand how it works. So when a course jumps into a project right away without explaining how that project was chosen, why it was chosen, that's leaving some parts out. Maybe not all the parts, but it is leaving some parts out, right? Especially there's no planning phases, right? Like usually you're not going to jump into a course that's going to show you a JIRA board or, you know, a task, a task manager that shows how they broke this project down into smaller pieces so that you can easily go in and build them and or split them up into different pe- for different people to build and stuff like that. It's usually just like, we're going to build a to-do list and then a code editor pops up and you're building a to-do list, right? Like that's, there is use of that, right? Like that is good, but that's what I'm trying to say is that it's not enough for you to just jump out of that junior developer mindset and go into something where you're a you're someone that it can take a task from start to finish. That's what I want to get you to. The thing that, that sucks about tutorials that start at random times, and I want to say this as a person that writes tutorials that start at random times, is <laughs> yep. is that you it's it's a struggle to let, let, let's say, for example, you have a a to-do list tutorial, and then you have a calendar tutorial, and then you have a gaming website tutorial, whatever. So you have these three tutorials in Svelte. Maybe the first one, the to-do list, you might start all the way back at the operating system where you say, I'm on Windows, this is how I installed this, this and that. But if you do that on every single one of your videos, a lot of the time people will just skip over it or people will get bored right away and leave. So you are combating the algorithm to an extent because some people that already have everything set up, like in my case, I'm working on the grocery list app. It's it's going along pretty well. The next tutorial I'll go to, I don't need the Node.js setup. I don't need to know what what goes into the CLI or the CMDs. I'm using Windows into the CMD. I don't need to know all that stuff anymore. I don't need to know to install VS Code. It's already done. And so I'm just going to either skip along or I'm going to find a tutorial that starts at the same spot as me. Now, there's a way to combat this, of course, as a content creator, you can have sort of like the introductory thing. And if you're like, hey, if you don't know what the heck, where the heck we are, go back to the introductory video do that. But there is a sort of value in just hitting the ground running, getting your point across very quickly in conversations, but also in the internet or on the internet as well is very valuable because people's attention spans are really low. There's a reason why TikTok is doing really well. Obviously, there's a reason why YouTube got into TikTok like videos with YouTube shorts, because sometimes you don't want to sit there and watch 10 minute videos or one hour videos or a movie in, in your downtime. You would prefer to just have something quick and easy. And that's why this happens. So it's not really a fault of the tutorial maker because 
at the end of the day, how many times are they going to describe, you know, Windows? Make sure you have Windows installed. Make sure you have Windows 10 installed. Also, this version, you know, it, you start getting to the point where you're splitting hairs and, it, and it, it starts becoming a little silly. What really sucks, though, in this is that sometimes they'll just gloss over something that is, let's say, one command or one line of code. And then you and they dig in to the rest of the code and you fully understand, you know, what they're talking about. So then you go, okay, I'm doing real great. You know, I understand what's going on. I'm going to take this and I'm going to try to make my own app that's similar or maybe even basically the same. And you want to write it out yourself so you can memorize it and kind of go through it. And then you completely also gloss over that one little point. And it's something super critical. And none of your code works. And you think now, now I'm an idiot. I don't know what's going on. And it takes you hours of sometimes of sifting through other tutorials to find one that focused on that thing that was glossed over that's actually like yeah by the way this turns the server on and you're like oh great i've been trying to run this forever and my server wasn't on or a classic one that i had back in view uh actually installing all of the dependencies i like pulled down the thing the first time ever and pulled down the thing it's a view project and i'm like okay and so like it's like oh run dev or whatever okay run the dev server Okay, nothing's happening. Like, what's going on? You look around, you look around, you look around. And ever all the tutorials say NPM install, but it just kind of gets like, it's just like NPM install. And I'm like, oh, I don't need to install, though. I'm not the one making it. Because the tutorials are like, you know, download all this stuff, make sure it's all installed, and then you're good. And so to me, it's like NPM install. I'm like, oh, like, I don't need that. Like, this, 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 um, this repo is already done coming from, like, static sites. This repo is already done. The JavaScript files, the HTML files, the CSS files are already here. Why would I need to install anything? It's already been installed and un- uploaded to GitHub. And that's that's a step that took me a couple hours. And then all of a sudden you realize like, all right, you need, to, you need to NPM install. But like that is an example of something that can get glossed over because it's so commonly done, but is super crucial. That's the thing. Like, And, and you meet, you bring up a really, really good point there where, where it's not really the course creators fault that these are pitfalls of courses this is the inherent inherent problem with courses is that they need to be as short as possible they need to be as clear as possible to the the extent of what they're teaching to be able to capture the, the the bigger audience and to be able to get the people to the end goal of that course there's very few courses that will take you from like windows all the way to end of production like like you have a scalable app and because it, there's a reason for that. It's because those don't do as well due to the fact that there's just not a lot of people that will take a, you know, 82 hour course. It's just a lot of content. And to make an 82 hour course is just a lot of time. So if they are there, it's probably going to be a paid one or something like that. So like, it's just, it's a very difficult concept to go across. So this is why you need to be aware of the pitfalls and of the issues with courses, because you might need to take like on different, on different areas, you might need to take like 15 courses to get the whole picture of something, right? Then you could start to be like, okay, now I'm starting to piece it together. This course is teaching you this part. This course is teaching you the, just setting up the development environment. This course, like that's a, a viable option if you're going down the course route. But like, until you actually start using this stuff that you're trying to learn, you don't know which course to even take because that courses don't teach you which part to take. Courses teach you the thing that you're supposed to be learning uh, for that course. It's, it's a really complicated process without actually knowing what you don't have, what you don't know. That's the problem. You don't know what you don't know. So they like courses, again, starting at random points 
all the decisions about how to get from point A to point B that you would need to make if you were starting a project on your own have already been made for you. And so this is where you get to that point where you're like, you want to start something new. You've taken a course and you're like, well, how do I do that? Like the course didn't teach me how to start something new. It taught me how to complete something that's already been planned, right? This is part of where you need to learn on your own. Next thing here is courses usually only cover basic implementations of something. Again, due to time constraints, due to different differing requirements for differing type of applications, most of the time they'll be as basic as possible. Like an example of that. When you're ever you're adding a authentication in a course, a lot of the time the authentication is going to be super simple. To make it quicker, to make the to get past that part and so that other so that most people can get through it easily. They'll usually do something like, oh, just authentication with username and password. Maybe we'll have a database associated with that uh, SQL light, something like a, you know, a, literally an SQL file right on to, right in your repo, right? So like the, the base, the, the most basic implementation of authentication. The reality is if you want to build a robust application, you're going to need robust authentication. Like people are probably going to want to want to log in with Google. People are probably going to want in with Microsoft. People, you probably might need a little bit more than SQLite has to offer. Although, to having said that, SQLite has gotten a lot better nowadays and there are some production applications using it to a greater extent. But regardless, like a lot of times you do want a, a, a database that's kind of separated outside of your app. And that part, just, just me saying like database separated outside of your app, it's a huge difference between that and a SQLite file inside your application. I'm just telling you right now, like you're going to have to figure out database keys. You're going to have to figure out connections, like querying that database to a different URL than your own is already a problem. Cores requests could be a problem. Just like, what are you going to do if the, if that database server is down, et cetera? Like there's just so many different little things that pop up that aren't covered in most courses that you're going to have to experience on your own when you try to do that. Right. Another example is like, a lot of a lot of things are trying to build like a Twitter clone. Like a lot of courses are, are are building a Twitter clone. Okay. And the assumption is maybe like in your in your mind, hey, if I do this course, maybe I could build my own version of a Twitter clone. But again, the reality is is when they take you through every piece of that in the inside of it is a very simplified version of Twitter. So maybe like let's let's focus on uploading photos. Maybe you can upload photos in the course. But a lot of times it's going to be like, oh, we're just going to use local storage or we're just going to use like the, the, the file, the file repo to upload photos. So it'll just go right into your GitHub if, if someone uploads a photo. Well, that's going to be a huge problem. GitHub has limits on how many photos you can upload. So if you release this application and people actually start using it, you're going to reach that limit really quickly. There's a reason why stuff like Cloudinary, S3, like AWS buckets exist, all that stuff, because there's limits to all these little things that courses usually skip over to just get something working in the end, right? Like it'll be, it'll look like Twitter. It'll act like Twitter to you and the course instructor, but it, it's not really Twitter. Like Twitter, even though it seems like a simple application, it requires a ton of scaling. It requires a ton of database work. It requires a ton of storage. It requires a ton of uh, optimization so that when someone's typing in their tweet and hitting send and a million other people are doing it at the same time, it knows who's to prioritize, who's to put into the database first. They got to do queues. Like there's so many little parts of that whole equation that just almost can't be covered in a course. 
that you're going to miss out and you're not going to know even to think about that. It's just that that's the reality of courses. You have to think like when you're going through a course, you know that it's going to be covering the simplest implementation of whatever you're going through. Another thing there, too, is that a lot of places will and and they will disclose this, to be clear. But a lot of times there's just clones that are made that are just the UI and it's just to teach you the front end uh, with very little functionality other than maybe like if you click on this, it'll you know open a menu or something like that. Sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's just, hey, let's get the YouTube. Let's uh, mimic the YouTube's nav bar animation type thing. And you're just learning effectively HTML, CSS, and maybe a framework associated with those things, maybe a little JS in, in there. And they again, these courses do disclose this. But as a complete beginner, you don't know the lingo yet. And I think actually that kind of key point comes up a lot and it will come up a lot throughout these these pitfalls that we go through because you don't know the lingo. So when they say, oh, this is just the UI, you're thinking, well, like, yeah, that's what an app is. You have no idea what's going on in the background. If you're a complete beginner, you're unaware that there's a server. You're just like, well, like, yeah, that's YouTube, right? Like, that's 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 what it does. Like, what do you mean? And you're just going to like you are probably going to gloss over that, not thinking of what's going on. And then you're going to probably go into a discord or something and be like, hey, I made this YouTube clone. How do I make the buttons all work? And I have seen that in a conversation it's like what do you mean like that's a lot of work man like where are you storing the videos how are you uploading them are you vetting them are they moderated and then then it's like oh okay and then you know the 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 list goes on and then there's obviously a huge pitfall or a huge hole in your knowledge that needs to get filled somehow yep that's exactly it and there's gonna be a lot of those holes regardless and that's that's the point that's a really big point of this like you're gonna have to be okay with filling them on the go on the fly like you're just going to have to adapt to the fact that you don't know what's going on and it's okay to be in that position and just being like, okay, I don't know how this part of the application works. I don't know how the like image storage works. Let's look at that part of the application. Let's figure that out. That's going to happen a lot. Okay. Next thing here is critical thinking and problem solving. So this is exactly like related to what we were just talking about. Like as you're going through a course, Everything has already been laid out for you. The point of a course is because the instructor has usually done something, you know, dozens or hundreds of times, they're now comfortable enough to teach it. And you're going to go through a very happy path. Okay. Like a very happy path in, in the sense that they might show a, a couple little screw ups here and there on purpose to, to kind of show you what that looks like. But the reality is, is they're going to be like, this is, you're, you're going to get to the end of, of your thing and Almost everything was perfect, like the entire implementation. The, the instructor was writing the code, everything like, you know, he did it ever, all on, on the first try. Nothing broke. Everything was great. The reality is, is like to get to that point for that instructor, he probably like broke 15 different production, 15 different times. He probably went down 10 different paths to get to a point where he knows the optimal path to get to like, you know, the, the finished product of a Twitter clone or whatever. Maybe, maybe they've, you know done all the debugging that they could have already done. So everything has already been planned out and achieved to show you how to do it. And when you go through a course, you're going to have that same experience, obviously, right? Like you might stumble here and there, like Matt's, Matt was mentioning, you might not have a library installed by accident uh, that, that needed to be installed in the prerequisites or something. But overall, you're going to have a pretty good experience start to finish following a step-by-step tutorial. That's just not the case when you start actually developing a, a project from scratch. You're just not going to have a smooth experience, regardless of your experience level, even. 
Uh, and you're, the idea is the mindset shift to be okay with that, right? Like it's really hard to explain this, but as someone that's taken on projects that are above the, my level of expertise multiple times, I knew I was going into it. The fact that, Hey, I know probably like 60% of how to do this and 40%. I have almost zero clue how to get there. And I always take projects on that have that kind of balance because that's the only way I grow as a developer. Like I obviously I don't take on stuff that's impossible. Let me be very clear on that. Like if someone were to come to me and be like, I need a scalable Facebook clone that can appeal to a million, like millions of people in a second, that's outside my level of expertise regardless. Right? Like I'm not going to be taking projects like that on. But if if someone comes up to me and is like, you know, you've I've already built, let's say, a um a small to-do list for myself. I've deployed it. I've used it. I've, I've troubleshot. I've, I've got it up and running. And someone's like, I need a task management system for my team internally that will be able to support like calendars and all that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, I can apply those skills that I've made with that to-do list. I'll need to learn scheduling. I've never done that. I'll need to learn, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to take that on because I have an idea of the, the initial bare bones part of it. So I can get the kind of an MVP done really quickly in my head. Those, that's a good clat. Like that's a good indicator that you're ready and you need to get there. And the only way to get there is to go outside of the course and to think outside the box, I guess, of where the course puts you. Again, critical thinking and problem solving are key aspects that courses really don't teach you. Next thing here is don't, they don't really discuss integrations with third parties. Unless the course is about an integration with a third party, a lot of times they'll just gloss over those things. So like I mentioned before with the auth, right? Auth is going to be a local auth, usually like password and, and, uh, and like email or something like that. But the reality is, is that your app's probably going to need like SSO, single sign on with Google and, and Microsoft and whatever. And all those little steps, like there's patterns you can follow for that. But there's like 15 different steps to do even one of those patterns, right? Like just to do like a Google OAuth, you have to go, you have to create a Google con, Google account, go into Google uh, Cloud Console, go into credentials, create an app in credentials, do a callback URL, integrate a third party authentication library into your application, uh, put the callback URL in the correct place in the environment file. Like I'm not going to go through obvi- obviously every step, but like it's a, it's kind of, way outside the scope of a simple authentication because of how many steps there are. And so even though you you have confidence that, hey, I, I've done an authentication, I have people logging in with their passwords and like resetting their emails, that little addition changes the scope and changes your learning and changes every, like it, it's a it's a mental shift, right? Like that just a third party, like a third party that's been thought out and done a million times where there's like guides and guides and guides on it is another thing that you have to learn. And like other stuff can be like analytics, error handling, uptime monitoring, newsletters. Like there's just a million different little integrations that you might need that could be as simple as putting a script tag in your head. Or it could be as complicated as adding like adding the single sign on integration like I was talking about with all the different callback URLs, other third party libraries to handle it for you and stuff. So it's just it depends on what the integration is and courses rarely the ones that do like project-based courses rarely teach you those things. Uh, there's no team dynamics discussed in courses. And this is a really big part. Like 
if you're going to be working on a team, on even a small team, you're going to need to know Git workflows, like the pull request workflows. A lot of times courses will gloss over any sort of Git. If they do, it's just going to be a, a simple Git add, Git commit, Git pull, Git push, um, which is good, good start. But you need to learn how, hey, how does branching infrastructure work? How do you merge? What's the difference between rebase and just regular merges? Why do you need one or the other? Because as soon as you get into a team environment, like it's going to matter. Have you ever worked with with some with someone and ha- had them overwrite your code? Matt and I have because we didn't do this. Like we didn't learn it. It wasn't a huge deal, but if that if that happens every time, you start to understand how these little little workflows will make it a little bit easier for you to uh, adapt and actually develop together. And this is part of that thing where like it separates you. It puts you on a different level than the other people that are coming in and are more junior because they just haven't gone through this team environment stuff. They haven't gone through and, and had to, you know, write consistent commit messages. They haven't done any pull request reviews. And like, there's just little things that you can do to differentiate yourself from the standard quote unquote junior developer. There is also an, an aspect of, of team dynamics in which the team itself, when you're there also glosses over things. So I really struggled with this. When I was working in a team, even in IT, where there were so many acronyms or so many pieces of lingo that were team specific and they weren't something that I could Google or learn on my own. These were things that were workflows, whether they're Git workflows or other just workflows or names for things. Uh, We had a, a name, a specific name for the latest OS build. And when I worked at BlackBerry and they kept throwing that word around. I don't even remember what it is now, but they kept throwing that word around like crazy. And it was months and months. And I was like, I still haven't learned what this is. And I wasn't a developer at the time, so I didn't necessarily need it. But then one day I needed it and I had to ask and they're like, you don't know what this is? And I'm like, no, like no one has taught me this. And this isn't something I can Google. This is a proprietary in-house. You've made this procedure. You've made this workflow. And I and my position is straight up never read into it. I'm surrounded by it, but I'm never read into it. And so by you at least learning the general team workflows, you know, you already have a foot in the door, but it, I would say it's important that if there is something that the team is doing and you Google it and you think, oh, this is something that they have made up, I would ask as soon as possible, whenever appropriate, because Sometimes it's it's going to come and bite you. There's going to be an incident and they're going to be like, you need to go and like reset this this OS build. And I'm going to be like, I do not know what that means uh, in things like that. So you're, if you're surrounded by it enough, at least try to figure out what is going on, because the team is going to be so. Especially if they're they've been there a long time, they're going to be so into their own work culture that they're not even going to realize that they're not using technical jargon or developer jargon. They're using enter company name here jargon. That's exactly it. And and the bigger the team and the more in, entrenched they are, the worse it's going to get. So like, it, it's just it's part of the process. Hopefully, they're more understanding than what Matt has worked with before. A lot of times, teams will be knowledgeable in the sense that like new person comes in, we have a lot of workflows. We're not going to expect the person to know our workflows. Like it doesn't make any sense to expect them to know. So they're either going to have the documentation to give you, or they're going to have, they're going to have to have the time to sit down with you and take you through it a couple times. It's unfortunate. I, I actually, yeah. sorry, I, don't, I do want to actually add a point there is that most people were um, understanding, 
But this is something that I brought up in my one-on-one with my boss. A lot of companies will do a one-on-one. And I brought this up and said, hey, this, like, I don't, I had to figure out my role and where the line of my role, because in a big corporation, you you can't literally overstep because you don't have the credentials to do so, <laughs> to log into systems and such. And so I said, like, my role is clearly defined in my head, but I've been here for four months and it just became clearly defined in my head. There needs to be, and then I named all the sort of bridges, and that was taken seriously and documentation was written. So if you are seeing holes in it, you know, mention it and hopefully they're receptive like they were in my case and just do it. Because if someone else or if you experience those hardships and it wasn't because of your mistake, then someone else is going to also experience those hardships, chances are. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's always good to bring up those kinds of things in one-on-ones because like – the, your boss doesn't know this kind of stuff. Like they're so they're so far removed from the junior developer's mindset that they just can't even picture the situation that you're in. So you can bring that perspective to them, and hope again. The hope is that they treat it with respect and and implement your suggestions, or at least talk about your suggestions and stuff like that. Um, and it also kind of puts you, you know, having something to say in those situations. One on ones are kind of weird like that. Uh, where if you don't provide feedback, it's kind of weird. Like, oh, is this? Are you really invested? Uh, but if you provide too much feedback, it's like, are they? You know, are you being too critical? I don't know. Like, it. it I've always, I've always been awkward in those one-on-ones. Like, I always try to like every suggestion that I make. I usually like bring up something good as well. I, it, I don't know if that's the way that everyone does it, but like, it's just naturally to me. I just want to make sure that I always have a balance. I've only been in a couple of one-on-ones, so this is not like the end-all be-all way to do a one-on-one. But the way I do it is I definitely go through it in my head, but I don't script it for a positive and negative. What I will do is I will just describe my experience. And if it's something like suggesting an improvement, I will describe my experience on top of saying how I think it could affect somebody else. And if they just so that they understand my my line of thinking. So I'm talking per, from from the heart, I guess you could say. And then then I'm also saying this is why I think this from a logical perspective. And that way it justifies what I said. If they don't like it. They don't like it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, it sucks. But OK, if you don't think there should yeah. be documentation, and you think everyone should just struggle, then OK, cool. But uh, not cool. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to the next segment here, which is how to go beyond courses. So here I'm going to give you actionable advice on what you can do to get yourself out of this kind of courses not being enough phase, right? Like tutorial hell, whatever you want to call it. So first thing is, is if you're going to go down the courses phase, which you probably have to do anyway to learn the base knowledge of the different technologies you're going to be using – Focus on courses that will have course projects, either multiple or a singular project that kind of vibes with what you're interested in, right? So when you have a course project, obviously, it's not going to be just theoretical learning. You're going to have some practical learning, even if it is step by step. But the idea is here is that not only are you going to do the project, my suggestion every time is to take that project and adjust it in some way. So if the project is a to-do list, which is very common, add categorization to the to-dos, right? Add some sort of way to search the to-dos. Add a thing outside the scope of the course that will require you to learn a different element, but use the course elements structure that you've already learned, right? Like you're not going to be able to rely on, on this course to be able to build this next feature 
So you might have to take another course or watch another YouTube video or watch a guide and then implement that into the base fundamental knowledge that you've learned from the course. That combination of skills is a skill on its own, which is really important in development is being able to take your current existing knowledge that you're, you're comfortable with and adding onto it something that you're not comfortable with yet and learning that part. And just thinking about like the, the step-by-step guide that you've already gone through, just thinking about how to add something to it will make your mind kind of adapt that information and, and process that information that you've went through just now better. And it'll, it'll obviously show you where you don't have enough information. So if you don't know where to add the categorization, then you're like, oh, damn, I didn't learn this. I just followed it step by step. I need to go back and at least like learn to the point where I can add that. So it's a good indicator for you that this course was actually something that stuck. Next thing here, find a project to work on with a partner. So Matt and I did this early on, and I think it helped a ton. Uh, We would, you know. Come up with a project. One of those was like list by design, a Chrome extension. Another one was a game where we worked with a designer. Uh, we would just sit down. We would plan it all out, right? Having that one extra person forces you to get into a different kind of workflow that's much more realistic of an environment that you're going to be forced into as a junior developer, as a, as a first-time job. You don't have a choice, right? Like as when you're doing your own project, Maybe you will just start coding. Maybe you will just start designing. Maybe you will just do something without planning anything. And that's okay. Like sometimes it's fine. But the reality is you need those skills. You need the skills of that whole development workflow. And the only way to get them really is to be forced into a situation where you're working on it with someone, a small team, a partner, whatever. Right? So you'll learn how to not overwrite each other's work like Matt and I did, how to break up tasks properly so that we can work on things simultaneously so that I'm not stepping on his toes. He's not stepping on my toes. How do you, how do you collaboratively even come up with like a list of requirements? Like how do you, you know, break down a feature list and create that feature list and to create a project that actually is cohesive and works together? Okay. And then, then we have arguments and like that back and forth. It's all important. Like it's not just coding skills that you need to perfect. You need to have the pretty much the full package to be a productive developer these days. Next thing here, hackathons. Uh, I've participated in one, uh, so I don't have tons of information on hackathons, but realistically, there's probably going to be hackathons around your local area that you can find just by Googling. Um, you're not going to learn how to build a production application like hackathon. I want to set that expectation clearly because it's usually very time constrained, but What it will do is it'll accelerate the process of you being able to take an idea and have a working prototype or in your mind have a way to develop an MVP for a demonstration, right? It'll also teach you a little bit more collaborative workflows because a lot of times in hackathons, you'll be partnered with a team or partnered with someone else. So you'll be forced into that collaborative workflow. So it's it's kind of a, a, a way to build your skills quickly, not a... And all, like you can't learn everything you need to know from a hackathon, but it is a good supplement to courses and to all the other stuff that we're trying to talk about. Ask for critiques, code reviews, and criticism of your code. This one's really important. I didn't do this enough personally. I still think I need to do this better. But if you have a group of coding friends, send them your code and tell them that you want them to tear it apart. Tell them that you're okay with that because a lot of times your friends won't be honest with you 
They won't want to hurt your feelings. They won't want to stop you from learning. But the reality is you need that. You need the harsh realities of like, hey, you're doing this if statement in a dumb way, right? Like <laughs> only your friends can be that blunt with you. And if you can get there quickly to the point where, you know, you can collaboratively send each other your progress, you're going to get further faster. You're going to know where you're going wrong. You're going to go down the, the paths, the, the wrong paths, obviously, but you're going to stop sooner rather than later, right? As long as you're okay with receiving that feedback and obviously reciprocate. Doing code reviews is almost as important as receiving code reviews because reading someone else's code, you're going to learn a lot different ways to do things. You're going to find other mistakes that they might not have found just because you're another pair of eyes. Even if you're, even if you're more junior than they are, like if they've been at this for a year and you've only been at this for a few months, having just that extra pair of eyes or just learning from their code is really important. And then obviously open source your code whenever you can learn that whole process of open sourcing. That's going to teach you Git workflows. That's going to teach you community engagement like if you if you're open sourcing something and then posting it in like a discord or a twitter you're going to have people coming in and a lot of times at that point they're going to be pretty critical so be okay with that critique especially at the start you need it and on, on top of that like you know discord and twitter continuous learning right so join discord groups listen to podcasts follow dev influencers because they're going to know where the industry is, like put have a tap on the industry in terms of the best new tools that are coming out, the ones that no one cares about anymore, uh, the the ones that will perform something faster. Maybe it's gonna you're gonna have a lot of questions, especially at the start, about like why do they care about like error monitoring? Like why do I care about error monitoring? I can just open up my console, right? Like and see the errors. Well, if you're putting your app out there to thousands of people and they're all on different devices, how are you gonna know who's who's are breaking? So there are tools that will take you through and actually like send you the local console errors of the people that have uh, used your product. So it's important, like it, it's tough to explain this to someone that's never like produced like anything and put it out there. But when you start hearing about it in podcasts or when you start listening to it on YouTube videos and watching it, you start to like kind of digest it a little bit more and more and more and more until it becomes the point where you can talk about it a little bit at least. And that will make it easier for you to come up with a solution when that problem occurs. So I actually have a question for you, Mike. So a lot of this stuff obviously is very helpful and it, it helps you kind of dip into the code, but also dip into the work culture that you'll experience to an extent. But when we start talking about the last thing you mentioned, which is the continuous learning, makes sense. Obviously, things move on, technology moves on, frameworks get released, frameworks get updated, for example. But what about the sort of, not to be that guy, but what about the the work-life balance of this? Because I know that some people, especially if they're new, will dive into this and this will be their thing for a while. But in reality, they don't want to be just a dev. Like that is not their identity. Maybe they're developing or working in web development so that they can pursue skiing all the time or something like that. Um some sort of hobby or whatever. And so when we talk about, you know, Discord groups, listening to podcasts, that's very sort of not on the job things per se. Sometimes it is, but obviously discord groups are going to be going off all the time and being an influencer of any way, even if they, they become an influencer in a way, or even if they're just sharing their dev journey and people follow them, they're going to get DMS and likes and comments and all kinds of things that kind of garner their attention. Like they want 
if you're if you're an interactive creator, I guess you, you could say you're going to answer DMs, you're going to answer comments. And so those things are constantly sort of an alarm bell pulling you back in. So what do you do or what would you say to the person that maybe, like I said, is not looking to become just a web developer? Because I, I, I know, let's say like a game dev, a game dev who's really, really into it might on their off time play games, but look at the game as a as through a different lens and make literally make notes, you know, bring up things like make specific key points that maybe they want to bring up for meetings where it's like, hey, our competitors are killing us in the how our water looks or something, you know, whatever their, their job is or their level design is, you know, off the charts in comparison to ours. And so their identity is game developer and they will do games all day, all night, all the time. And that's the way it is. But is there room in this current job market even for someone who isn't always just a, a web developer? I'm a web developer. That's all I do. I don't talk to anybody except for web developers. And I listen to podcasts and blah, blah, blah. So, I'll put it this way. Um, for me personally, I've started to slow down on Discord groups, listening to web development podcasts, even Twitter, right? Like I'm I'm a web developer. I do that as my day job. I've put in a lot of work in those other things already uh, to get to the point where I'm at, okay? When you're trying to break in, let's say that you're trying to break in, you already have like a day job, you come home from work. The reality is, is that, yeah, you're going to have to be obsessed. Like you're going to have to invest that ridiculous time to do all this stuff that I'm mentioning or some of it, like a subset of it, obviously not all of it. That's impossible. And that's probably going to be your life after work. And that sucks uh, from a work-life balance perspective. But if you're trying to transition from whatever job you have now to this job, you can't treat it as a side thing. Right. Like if you're trying to get break into the industry as a job perspective, if you're just trying to like build like a little project and you're having fun with it, that's a different conversation. But if you're trying to break into a different career, it has to be an almost an obsession, in my opinion. When you break in, when you start feeling co- a little bit more comfortable, that changes. You don't need to be obsessed anymore. You don't need like and, and in fact, I would recommend not to be obsessed anymore. You need to have that work-life balance. You need to do other stuff outside of web development because if you're too obsessed, you're going to have too narrow a scope view. You need that other, like for creativity, when you're solving problems, you need to be able to think outside of just web development and stuff like that. Like you can't just be obsessed with every little piece of new technology coming out and all that. You have to do your job. You might have to stay on top of things here and there, but you shouldn't be like just doing web development stuff in my my personal opinion. The influencers that are out there doing web development stuff that you see, like us sometimes, like we're, we're, we're a little bit like this, uh, but like other, other influencers that are only doing web development stuff, they still have a work-life balance because their job is literally doing this web development influencer stuff. So that's the difference. So they do it for eight hours a day and then they go and, you know, ski and play video games and go for runs or whatever. But their job is this, like is staying on top of tech. And that's kind of our job too as, as podcast hosts. So I have to like, even if I'm tired of web development at the end of the day, sometimes I will, you know, check my feed. I do it a lot less now um, because it's just, it, it's dragging me down because like I need that balance a little bit too. 
And I just like, I, I'm literally in code the entire day pretty much or, or in meetings and production and stuff like that. So yeah, that th- I think, does that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I think, you know, obviously to be obsessed into something like anything else, if you just suddenly decide that you're going to build a shed in your backyard, you might find yourself obsessing over how to do that for a while. But then once you're in it or once you've kind of figured it out and you're ordering, you know, the parts of the shed or maybe even the ready-made, you know, kit, if that's what you've landed on, then your obsession dies down and you stop. Your Chances are you'll stop listening to the podcasts on woodworking and stuff like that, unless that's your your absolute passion. And, and for people that it's an absolute passion, then yeah, like if they want to code all the time, they code all the time. And if they don't get burnt out, they don't get burnt out. Some people... When they start getting an online business, they go absolutely crazy with that. They drop all their hobbies because they just like making money. And it's like, okay, like, you know, you've moved on from whatever you used to do before gaming or writing or whatever. And you're doing your online business, whatever that is. And like, that's your obsession now. That's your obsession now. But I did want to bring up because it's almost like the mental health angle a little bit, right? Where some people are going to be like, man, I just can't break into this. I'm going to listen to another podcast and they're exhausted and they're all like beat up, you know, not not physically, hopefully, but they're all like sort of beat up and they're down on themselves because they've they've they haven't landed an interview yet. And all they do is listen to podcasts, do discord, you know, do, do like sit in the discord groups, learn things, ask questions. And it just becomes like, holy, like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? And so there is sort of an either. Well, you you mentioned a, basically a light at the end of the tunnel, but also, you know, there is a room for you saying like this weekend, I'm not. I'm not doing this like I'm taking a break from this. I'm going to go do whatever. I'm going to go on a trip or I'm going to do whatever. I don't need to sit and stew in all this web development stuff. And 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 weirdly, I don't know if you have a comment on this, but weirdly, the reason why this came to me is because, you know, obviously I do other things other than just web development. But also it, what's interesting is that there's so many things now that that ask for our attention, you know, tons of shows that come out, streaming services, blah, blah, blah. Right. You can ignore those. But yes, like the, that stuff comes out. But there's also real life things that you should learn, like th- people learning to invest, for example, or learning how to save for retirement, learning how to budget, learning how to save for a house, learning how to do whatever. Like those are critical things that, that affect your life. And there are influencers that are in those spaces that teach you those things, how to get fit how to do this, how to fix your car and save money, how to whatever, right? There's a million and one areas that affect your life, affect your budget, affect your bottom line, affect your living situation, that there are ways to learn how to do that stuff online. And if you're only just doing web development, you know, you kind of need to be obsessed with those other things too. And you can't be obsessed with web development, but also obsessed with how do I save for retirement at the same time? Because there's just so much content. How do you be obsessed with both? But it's like anything else where I learned how to invest to a point and I was obsessed with it for years. And I think I'm going to go through another obsession soon to like kind of update my knowledge. But I've just been coasting for two years and just sort of keeping up. But I know where to keep up. I know where to look. I know what to do. And so that's it. Right. Um, and I, I just wanted to mention that. It's a good point. Like it's really important to understand your your limits. Um, if you're obsessed and you love it, like okay sure that's fine stay obsessed like I, I know a few people that have a full-time job and then stop the full-time job and will go in and do their open source project uh and they're like amazing developers and they love it like that's just their life and that's fine like, like that's great but it's that's probably the very very small minority that's the reality like don't put that as like your you have to do that to succeed absolutely you do not you do have to be obsessed to a certain degree at the start but not forever to end this off i think uh, what I want to do is I want to take you through like, hey, 
you know, how do you do all this stuff? Like, okay, so there's, there's this, but what about the actual coding? What about the actual, like putting it all together? Well, the reality is the only way to have a good experience and to be confident that you can complete that task is to do it. So my suggestion is always going to be the same, create your own production project. Okay. So like on top of some of the things that I've mentioned, this is probably the most important one. So if you're at the point where you can't find a job, you don't have a free, you can't have a freelance, you can't find freelance gigs, like you don't have the experience. The only way to gain that experience is to build it yourself, right? Or with a partner or whatever, have, you know, go through the process, go through the full process that I described that courses don't do very well on. Brainstorm ideas, you know, like come up with a list of ideas, gather requirements, like pick an idea, then gather the requirements you need from yourself and maybe potential clients. Like maybe you want to build a little dashboard for your parents' business or for maybe your dad does, you know, woodworking and he needs to track his projects better or something like that. Like to find something that's applicable to someone in your real life because getting that feedback from them is part of the process. Like that feedback loop is really, really key, important. So find that, gather the requirements of what they would need, create a simple UI UX for an MVP, understand what UI UX is. Don't, don't just gloss over it. Don't make like a, unless you're, you only want to be a server dev, don't make a server dev uh, type of UI. Uh, try to spend a little bit of time understanding that point. Choose a tech stack. Right. Like now, okay. You learn that you've taken a bunch of courses. You like Svelte, choose Svelte. You've taken a bunch of courses. You like React, choose React, whatever. It's not going to be perfect. I want to make, make sure that you understand that you're not going to make the right decisions in any of these steps, your first project out, but you'll probably get to an end project, an end point where you're happy, at least happy that it's out right now. Right. That's important. Even though you made mistakes and even though you went down the wrong path, that's fine. That's part of the process. Plan out your development process. Like, how are you going to track your tasks? Are you going to put use them Trello? Are you going to use Asana, Todoist? Are you going to go to Jira right away to learn that process? Whatever you want to do, just find a, a method that will work for you. Maybe read up a little bit on waterfall versus Kanban versus uh, sprinting, sprints, like agile method, whatever. Read up on that process of how you would plan it out. And then build. Like, sit down. You've planned it out. Stick to your process. Right, like build a feature, test the feature, build another feature, test that feature, build the scaffolding, test that. Once you're happy with like an MVP, a solid product, deploy it. It can be in a, it, it can be in kind of like a broken state as well. I want to be key here. Like I wouldn't save deployment to the very last thing you do. I would almost deploy it after you have like a first scaffold ready, not the first product for production, like like you know for all your users to use, but at least the first like part of the project done. Then deploy it because. During that deployment process, you're going to notice some things like, hey, in development, it was working like this. On the server, it's working like this. So now you're going to have to go back and like adjust it to make sure that it's working properly in production, just like it was in development or vice versa, whatever. Right. And when you're doing that, you're able to be like, okay, dad, I built this like first part for you. Can you just take a look at it? Again, talk to the stakeholders, talk to the users that you want, that you want your project to use. And they're going to say some things and how you react to that and how you like, implement their feedback is part of the process. So you might, add, you might have to get their feedback, maybe add some analytics to it, add some error handling. Like if you give it to your dad and he takes it to work and he comes back and he's like, it was broken. Where was it broken? Why was it broken? What did you do? Well, if you don't have any error handling, if you don't have a way to monitor errors, how are you going to find out? Like, you, like your dad's not going to be able to explain it to you. You might not be technical. So you make sure that you have all that. 
prioritize the feedback, act on it. Then like build that feedback in, get more feedback, do that a couple times. Going through this process, you're going to hit roadblocks. Like you're going to be like, damn it, this deployment didn't work. The hell is that? Maybe you're going to hit like a roadblock of like, hey, I, I chose this UI framework. It doesn't have half the stuff that I need. I'm ripping it out. I'm doing another one. That's normal. It's okay. Do that. This is your project. Don't stretch it out forever. Give yourself some deadlines. Give yourself some like soft things. But as you're going through this, expect roadblocks, expect struggles, expect troubleshooting. That's what you need to do. You need to do all that because when you sit down at the interview and you have this product to talk about and the manager, the hiring manager or the team lead is talking to you and they're going to be like, what did you struggle with? That question is really important to answer properly. If you're going to say, I struggled with nothing, that is not a good answer because that is bullshit. <laughs> we know if you have a, a project that has some sort of complexity in it, that's live in production, there were some struggles, no matter how, no matter who you are. So talk about those. Be, be truthful because, again, how you reacted to those struggles and how you adapted to them is very, very important in your day-to-day -day job because that's, that's going to be your life. You're going to be roadblock after roadblock after roadblock until you get through it and have a finished product in the end. I find that some of the people that say they didn't struggle as well did struggle, but what they do is they will just go to a different solution. So they'll go to like a Stack Overflow, maybe they'll copy paste the code and then manipulate it so that it works in their project or so they think it's going to work and then it just doesn't work. And instead of d digging in and figuring out why it doesn't work and what needs to be changed, they will then go and find a completely different solution and then, you know, paste that do the manipulation. Oh, this one works. Okay, cool. And they don't consider that first part of struggle when it was in fact. And I can give an example of what I'm doing with full stack struggles right now. So I got some arrow functions to work and it just worked in my whatever, but the person I was in this particular guide recommended using const and Mike and I had this conversation where I got it to work and it was working, but I was struggling as to why we were doing an arrow functions in a const and not a let. And people were like, Oh, it's a constant reference and blah, blah, blah. And I just, it just kind of went over my head a little bit. And so we had that conversation. And so I would consider that a struggle in that I was struggling to understand it. We figured it out. I'm writing a guide on it because I don't see many guides on it. And I think someone else might get stuck on the same thing. Fair enough, right? And it's a simple enough concept once you understand it. But I would still bring that up and say I was struggling with sort of the theory here as to why the guides and the people, the influencers, whomever that I listen to and watch suggested I do it this way. When I did it, it worked. I didn't understand how, so I went back and figured that out. I think that's a totally legit like thing to say to somebody as a part of a struggle, especially if you're doing like if you're talking about a simpler portfolio project. Because some people might be like, "I didn't have a struggle," because they kind of didn't. But that is a struggle, and there's going to be those I think almost every time where you're just like, "Why does this like Why are we using a var here?" And it's like, "Oh, it's because of this and that." And like, "Why are we Why are we you know summoning if you will the function this way? Why are we declaring the function this way?" And it's like, oh, OK, there's different ways to declare functions. And I didn't know that. So there we go. Like, that's another way to that's another struggle that you, maybe you didn't get roadblocked by. But you can absolutely mention and say, I didn't understand this. And now I know there's different ways to declare functions. Boom. You know, that's a there's an interview answer. You did some research. They know you're competent. They know that you they know that you can identify your own shortcomings and you can tr you can identify how and when to fix that shortcoming. 
Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't have to be some complex, like over the top answer. It can be as simple as that. Exactly. Just as long as it's something and it's, and it makes sense and it's something that you actually went through, right? Because the reality is if you say that you didn't struggle, the, my assumption would be that and you probably just followed a step by step tutorial and, you know, just that's what this looks like. So that, that's, that's not like it's okay, but it's not exactly what usually someone is looking for. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, hopefully, again, this this episode gave you an idea of where you need to supplement your skills and knowledge outside of just courses. Hopefully, you can break out of Tutorial Hell if you are in it. So all the other stuff that I talked about outside of courses, that's how you break out. Like, that's how you step outside that comfort zone bubble. Like, if you, if you winced at those things that I talked about, it's because it's meant to be a little bit outside your comfort zone. Right. Like hackathons, like, yeah, they're weird. Like you have to be there for like 24 hours and you're building something with someone that you don't know or sometimes it's all a strange experience. But yeah, that's part of it. Like you need to be okay with those, those kinds of things. Or again, you don't have to do hackathons. You don't have to, you know, work on a project with a partner if you can't find anyone. It's not, you know, it's not easy to do that, but at least implement some of these things and try the, try something else outside of just like, Hey, I'm just doing step by step guides and tutorials. It's almost like be a little hard on yourself, not extremely, but, you know, kind of give yourself a little tough love. And like you said, with the deadlines, it's like, hey, I want to finish this by Monday. And, you know, if I finish it by Monday, I'll buy myself pizza. If I don't finish by Monday, I won't buy myself pizza or something, something not too serious, but also hard enough where you're like, fuck, I kind of kind of want that pizza. So I'm going <laughs> to try to hit that deadline. But that's it. And speaking of courses, if you want to. Support us and also get a discount on some Scrimba courses and their interactive code editor media player. Check out our Scrimba link that will be in the show description and or the or no, and it will be on HTML, all the things.com. And remember that we are on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. So check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Gunner Burnett via gunnerburnett.com. Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com. Garrett Segal and Level Up Financial Planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review in the platform that you're listening to this on and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.